This is a podcast from Rover. Dylan, how are we doing? This is Rex today. I'm Dominic George. We're here until 12.30. Thanks, as always, to the team at NetSpeed. Coming up in just a moment, Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor talking ag emissions pricing. Then we're going to be talking sport, as we usually do on a Friday with our man, Hamish Mackay. That's coming up between now and 12.30. But first up on the programme today, Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor joins us. Damien, good to have you on the programme. How's things? Oh, very good. How are you, Dom? Not too bad. My word, you must have your work cut out for you at the moment. She's been all go. Look, there's, there's a lot on, and uh, you know, people have said, why is so much all happening at once? And I've looked through the list. It's a long list. Um, and we say, you know, what could you park up? What is not necessary in the kind of challenging world that we face? And not too many things that we can just park to, or put to one side. Um, the reality is that post-COVID, the world is moving really, really quickly. And uh, we have to remain connected with it and, and be relevant to the markets and the shifting trends that are out there. And uh, done really well through COVID from the primary sector. You know, we've, we've continued to drive the economy. We've produced export record uh, uh, record export earnings um, so you know there's a lot of positive things but it's not getting any easier and obviously the price of fertiliser and fuel and stuff like that um, elsewhere in the world it's a food security issue um, so, Yes well uh, the, all those things uh, are very true um, then people would say to you and people have been asking well then why on earth would we go down this road of being the first nation on the globe to tax farmers as it were for agricultural emissions well it's um, if you have a look at the uh, expectations and demands from some of our major customers Tesco's Nestle McDonald's all of those they are moving really quickly into the space of sustainability because what's happening around the world with climate change events is there's a bit of panic you know, what can we do to try and reduce our impact and, and stop this global warming? That's what the vast majority of people are saying, whether it's Florida or California or droughts in Europe or whatever. And so they kind of say, well, I, I want to buy a product, but I, I want to know that it's, you know, good for me and, and, and good for the planet. That's the that's the underlying drive, uh, whether it's the supermarkets or the big uh, multinationals. And so, you know, we can't afford to be flat-footed because we absolutely depend on the, on the export of food and fibre for our existence. So, you know, we can't be at the back of the queue uh, when it comes to shifting to meet their expectations. The counter-argument to that is we're not at the back of the queue, we're already at the front. Well, um, yeah, yeah, we are. You know, you've got to, you have to be careful with some of the metrics and some of the claims that have been made. Studies were done a few years ago now. Um, there's a lot of shifting um, production systems around the world. Uh, we are very low impact um, and, and we run pastoral systems that are really good. Um, but a lot of people are catching up and, and when we start counting carbon as people are starting to do we've got to make sure that we that we are ahead of the pack that we haven't been um uh, you know we're not falling behind others and so it's part of this look in 1997 um you know uh, it was a national government actually that committed agriculture into our emissions reduction program we've been grappling with it for 25 years you know we've had a couple of, of robust debates you know call it the fart tax and all the rest of it ets you know on again off again all of that stuff and we're now at a point where we said to the industry the industry leaders well can you work through what you think is the best way for your proposal and what we are 
talking about and discussing is basically that proposal with a couple of questions around how we best measure and and um, and account for sequestration and and how we set the price and I you know that that's about where it, you know there's a few other issues that are relatively minor um, I've had some discussions with other farmers that think the whole proposal from Haywalk is you know faulty um, look it was one put together by industry leaders and and as consensus not perfection um, but it's something to work on but the uh, the problem is that uh, the proposal that the government's come back with um, according to a lot of people knocks some of the key things on the head from Hewaka Ekenau whether or not people agreed with it in the first place or not and the big ones of course being around sequestration you look at the sheep and beef farms uh, by the government's own admission a 20% uh, reduction in sheep and beef sector alone Yes there will be a hit on production it doesn't mean to say 20% of the farmers leave because of adaptation because of land use change because of you know planting a few trees there are many ways of looking at this. I'm not dismissing absolutely the value of modelling, but it is based on a whole lot of assumptions, and many of them are that you know you you don't necessarily see adaptation and the farmer changing um, behaviour in the way they react to that. And I mean, we've got half the number of of sheep that we had, less than half the number that we had in the 80s, and we've got the same production, and and we've got a, and we've been losing. Um, sheep and we've been losing dry stock land at the rate of about 12% every 10 years for the last 30 years, right? And this predicts further loss. And yes, we do have too many farms going into trees. I accept that. This is another pressure, but I don't accept uh, that, you know, we're going to lose 20% of the sheep and beef farmers. That's not true. Well, we're losing farms every year. The number, as you say, is certainly going down. Uh, You can understand where comments like, you know, this will rip the guts out of uh, rural New Zealand and and things like that come from. Um, That's the 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 genuine fear, though, Minister, isn't it? That's a genuine fear from people out there that their livelihoods, their farms are going Going to, uh, to going to going to be taken away effectively. When, when, no, uh, New Zealanders are selling to New Zealanders when it comes to many of the farms going into to trees. I'm uneasy about that, but but how you intervene to say no, you're not allowed to sell to this New Zealander, but you are allowed to that New Zealander. We're working through the RMA to make sure councils can have some control over, but they too will then run into the dilemma of, of how you intervene on, on a person's right to sell to who they think will provide them with the most money. It's a really tricky area. We do have to ensure that we're not putting in place worse environmental outcomes, uh, you know, in 30 years' time, and that, that is a possibility on some of the land where we're seeing trees go. So it is complex. I, I'm not trying to deny the challenges here, but we've seen, as I say, a reduction in sheep and beef land for for over the past 30 years, average of 12%. Um, We've seen changes in rural communities. Some of it's been really positive as as, uh, communication and technologies allow people to live in rural communities and and operate remotely. So, you know, it it, it swings and roundabouts here, and we've seen that over the last 50 years as, as rural New Zealand changes. Yes, well, two-thirds of all farm sales between, I think, the start of 2017 and uh, the end of 2020 uh, were whole farm conversions to forestry. Two-thirds, that's an extraordinary figure. It is. It is indeed. And and so just as we had, I guess, we had sheep and beef farms go into dairy, uh, we've had a lot go into horticulture, we've had changing land use, um, as I say, consistently, um, and, and we are putting the brakes on, on the door that was left slightly open for some of those foreigners to come in and buy 
for production purposes only, not for permanent forest sinks. So, you know, this is this has moved very quickly with carbon price. I accept that. Um, and, and we're doing what, what we can and what we think is necessary without actually directly intervening and say to, saying to, to farmers or landowners, sorry, you can't sell um, to that person. We've said it on farms because we we think we would have seen a massive um, a sale and sale of of uh, our New Zealand farms into the hands of foreigners, and I think people have accepted that that's probably not the best long term. Um, and it comes back to um, the small number that have gone uh, to foreigners for forestry, but a large number have gone to Kiwis for forestry, and that's where the dilemma is. Can I circle back to the point you made at the start, where it's all about overseas perception, right? How they perceive the way that we produce our food, but. Are we not sort of alluding and signalling to the market that there's something wrong when there really isn't? Look, you know, we're very good at lots of things. Um, we're not the best at the world in all those things. And, and we've, we're have we starting to look at, as the Irish are, as the, the Dutch are, looking at issues of nitrate uh, in, impacts on the environment. Um, um, in Ireland, uh, they are targeting 30% reduction by 2030. Right, mm-hmm. that's what they are saying to the agricultural sector. Far higher um, aspirations. The, the signals from that is that everyone's kind of moving in this direction, and and that we have to be part of that movement too to reduce impact on climate change. And and this is not any admission that there's a failure, but that we have to keep improving. And I think we've done a really good job of that through through the last century of continuing to improve our farming practices to meet the expectations of our customers. Those expectations are increasing. If we don't meet them, you know, we become less relevant. Look, the, the 40 million people who we can feed is a drop in the bucket of the international population. We've got to make sure that those who can afford to buy our food, you know, really buy it for the right reasons and, and continue to, to want it and demand it and see the value in it. Are you? Do you feel like you're in a rock and a hard place here as a uh, man of the land yourself, West Coast farmer, um, but you're... You, you, you're sort of in this position where you're fronting this to a to a large degree. A lot of people call it ideological. Um, you know, how, how's that? How's that sitting with you? Well, you know, I, I, I was share milking in the eighties when the subsidies came off. Yeah. Into the protest, you know, that was the right thing to do. Um, you know, we formed Fonterra. Not everyone agreed with that. We formed the Kiwi Fruit Marketing Board. These are things that Labor governments have done because they're the right things to do. This is not easy. We're not in Parliament there just to please everyone. We have to use the information we have and, and, and take it on board and make the changes that are required. And, and most people don't like change. And, you know, I, I, we've, we've had to face a whole lot of changes and, 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 and new expectations uh, through, the, through, the, through the decades. That will continue. The one at the moment is, is a bit of a panic around climate change, about the impact on the climate and our, our production systems. You know, we've seen within New Zealand here, um, you know, it may not be as dramatic as Florida or California and the fires, but, you know, we, we have floods, we have droughts, and that's the impact of climate change. And people across the world are saying, what can we do to reduce that? If we do our bit, then, then we'll be, you know, accepted into that international marketplace. If we don't, we may be shut out. Well, Damien O'Connor, I do appreciate your, uh, your thoughts on the program. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. Rex Today. With NetSpeed. Internet solutions for everyone. Talk to them today.
Property of the Week with Property Brokers, Farmland's strategic real estate partner. Well, seldom to farms of this state has come to the market. The astute purchaser will recognise the quality on offer here from the modern farm infrastructure and superior housing through to the first-class productive soils. It's located at Kokatahi, which is about 15 minutes inland from Hokitika, and this property comprises about 230 hectares of dairy country on quality free-draining soils. The all-flat contour allows top production from 430 cows on a semi-self-contained basis and gives alternative options as the majority of the property can be cropped with soils considered some of the best ag soils on the coast. So for buyers, the farm supported by a modern 44-bale rotary shed, abundant modern sheds and two homes. It ticks all the boxes, this one, and stock and plant are available at valuation. It's being offered to the market by tender closing November 25. Call Gareth Cox or Anna Hart at Property Brokers to view today. For further details, just visit pb.co.nz. Rex Today with NetSpeed, keeping the country connected. Rex Today with NetSpeed, internet solutions for everyone and their dog. All right, being a Friday, of course, we're going to chat a bit of sport. Our man Hamish Mackay standing by. G'day, Hamish, how you doing? Hey, Don, good morning. Here coming to you from the uh, mighty Manawatu, where I was actually at the uh, race group bar. They launched, uh, opened their new synthetic track, race track at Awapuni. Man, it's next level. It's Jetsons. Oh, I was just really in. Great to be there, and what a facility. It's going to be such a shot in the arm for racing, so there you go. How good is that, though? Because I saw you post a photo with um, Minister Kieran McAnulty as well. He was there. Yes, 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 indeed. The minister was there, and uh, he cut the ribbon. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's some really forward-thinking a group who are uh, the Awapuni, Fielding, Trentham, uh, Rangitiki Martin. I think, you know, they, they all got together anyway, and they are the race group, and they've now got this fantastic training facility um, they sold some land off to developers and returned for some other land where they can build some new training stables and facilities uh, talk about go-getters and this thing's made out of it's like string and candle and god knows what it is but i tell you what it almost made me put the running shoes on <laughs> you know, do an easy I, do an easy 1600 pick it up for the last 400 yeah. <laughs> oh look at him go down the straight the big fella hey oh. um yeah well i was just having a look as well at the um forecast for melbourne cup on yeah. tuesday yeah. and uh, gee she's not looking great um old mate phil duncan has sent through a media release uh, melbourne cup weather looks showery cooler and windier no good <laughs> If I said to you the name Vanderhum, does it mean anything to you? I'll say no. What do you got? Yeah, so 1976. Right. It, um, it, it poured down at Flemington, just poured down. And there was a Kiwi in there who wasn't really a hope in hell on a dry track, you know. Good, good, you know, good, you know, sort of northern regions galloper by the name of Vanderhum. But Vanderhum loved the mud like no other horse and won the 1976 Melbourne Cup. And I think, you know, the mudlark gets home. I love it. I love it. If you've got to have something that's got a huge ticker to go two miles and do it in the wet. Yes, Vanderhum. All right, very good. All right. Um, yeah. Now, that is obviously Tuesday, but there's a, a big sporting weekend coming up. And, uh, wow. you know, uh, I'm, I'm just uh, talking of the Aussie weather. It's been quite disappointing, actually, with the T20 World Cup. I mean, New Zealand's second game abandoned without a ball being bowled. Uh, it it yeah. hampered the um, it's hampered a few games. I've watched a lot of the cricket, I've got to tell you. It's been great. I think sometimes as New Zealanders, uh, you know, we talk about was it that much of a shock when you look back to rolling the Aussies the way we did? I mean, we're actually quite good at this game. We're at the pointy end of everything. 
Yeah, so, well, well, as I said, the point I made to you last week was that um, yeah. I didn't think necessarily that uh, it was a lot of unknowns about this particular side, how they'd go. But yeah. um, you, you yeah. look at the 11 years in Australia without winning a, f- a game in any form. Uh, but then we did make the point last week that in these world tournaments, uh, we've done very, very well in the last That's three cool. or four years. So that was always something that you could uh, hang your hat on. And uh, the shorter the form... Uh, uh, you know, the more there is the chance of having those uh, sort of, you'd call it an upset, I suppose, uh, Australia back, yeah. you know, defending champs in their, on their home ground. I mean, it certainly was an upset, um, and there's been a couple of them, so it's been good. Yeah, and the old story, eh? The old story is my fifth form English teacher, who was the 12th man the day New Zealand made 25 at Eden Park. He used to say, if Mackay catches win matches. Yes. <laughs> well, there's uh, been there's been some stunners um, yeah. from, a, you know, from a lot of sides. I've seen some great catches uh, so far throughout this tournament. There's been a couple of yeah. shockers as well. There's been a, there's a poor joker yeah. last night playing for Zimbabwe called Pringle. And, uh, yeah. man, he had one of the most torrid times in the field of anyone I've ever seen. It was just one of those things where the ball just kept following him and it, it just nothing would stick. It was awful. But um, so yeah. we've got the we've got the cricket that's uh, against Sri Lanka tomorrow night nine o'clock. Of course, there's a yeah. um, couple of rugby games too uh, uh, happening yes. <laughs> with a little bit of a uh, timing malfunction. I was interested. I see Louisa Walls come out and call it uh, sexist. I don't think it's sexist. It's just dumb. Um, well, it's just a mistake. Uh, they just didn't consider yeah. it. They just didn't factor it in when they yeah. were putting yeah. the schedule together. So, yeah, whether that's arrogance, whether it's whatever it is, you would have thought they would have been able to do that. I, I definitely stand by that. I think it was a, a stupid, dumb mistake. And um, the reality is, I'll be. I, I'm not too sort of fizzing at the bung about the All Blacks playing Japan, to be honestly. Um, but I do want to see a couple of individuals to Barsashek. I think they've mucked around with him too long. Fair or better, I think we need to see what he's got. So hey, hey, look, it'll be a good game. But on one, I'm quite happy to watch the Blackburns first and then go on to the old um, delayed delayed viewing of the All Blacks against Japan. It's, I think a lot of people will do that because an All Blacks versus Japan game uh, with effectively, you know, sort of a, you know, an experimental All Black side, if you like. Um, seven or eight first choice All Blacks home, so. You know, it's not like it's a World Cup match for the All Blacks or a game against the Springboks or the Wallabies or something like that. I mean, I think you'll find that, uh, well, people just have the choice now. Um, you know, once yep. the dust settles and people get over, you know, anger and all the, all the sort of stuff that they're starting, you know, the the seething mentality that's coming through from people over, um, you know, just probably what was just a basic human error. Um, you know, once once people get over that, uh, you know, I think you'll find a lot of people will probably watch the uh, quarterfinal live and then, as you say, probably watch a replay or whatever from uh, from the All Blacks. But if they choose to watch the All Blacks over the Black Ferns, then, I mean, that's up to people to do, isn't it? I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> both both yeah. with your remote, do what you want. Yeah, you exactly. Yeah. You've got the choice. It's a nice choice. I'm looking forward to this quarterfinal. I think the Welsh will be better. Uh, they'll certainly be improved. We'll have the uh, sort of the nervous, the nerve factor. The expectation is building, although we shouldn't get away from the fact that the French and the English are still the, the two teams to beat here, and we're probably... We're getting better by the week. Um, I hope there's not a whole lot of sort of um, uh, venting or huffing and puffing if we don't go through and win this tournament. I think we've got the team that might get up on the day. But, uh, yeah, just let's just all keep it in context and enjoy the moment. You know, live in the moment. Fantastic.
Yeah. Oh, hey, the um, the Kiwis are playing too, aren't they? Kiwis got the Kiwis got the rugby. See the rugby league World Cup's going on. I mean, they you know it's a, it's isn't it interesting because it is playing sort of second or third fiddle, isn't it? Behind the cricket and the uh, and, and the women's rugby World Cup. So. Never mind the All Blacks. Well, it, it always happens with Rugby League World Cup. So, you know, we've played Lebanon, we've played Jamaica, we've got the Irish, you know. I mean, yeah, so that's 7.30am. There's no scheduling clash with that one. <laughs> Nothing. No, you're free to watch it. You don't even... Yeah, exactly. As always, great to talk to you. We'll, we'll be listening uh, with bated breath to Rex over the weekend. You'll have your new mate, Kieran McAnulty, in there, I would have thought, would you? Yeah, racing, uh you know, fresh from uh, having dinner together at the Awapuni. At Awapuni. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah. Look at you, moving and shaking. Got, Good man. Got a bit of, got a bit of insight too. Right out. Good on you. Out.